Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to yet another Let's Talk edition. It's been a while we had one of these, but now here we are, and we're talking about the future. Right, first of all, hey, hey there, Dan. Hey, man, buddy. How's it going? How are you? It's been a while. Uh, I'm glad to actually talk to you right now. For a while, we've been super busy, and the COVID mm -hmm. has changed all of our plans. It has certainly changed a lot of my plans in terms of my travels that have been canceled and the exhibitions that have been canceled and so on. But ultimately, it's been a great uh, you know, couple of months because despite the fact that we've had uh, dealt mm -hmm. with uh, a lot of issues that are unfortunately, uh, most of them, of course, were unforeseen. Fortunately, we've managed to get over a lot of these challenges. And I feel like even though in the first four or five months of the pandemic, we are not making good progress because we're just adapting and, you know, to the new situation. Now that we have all fully adapted to the situation, I guess uh, we are learning to actually make more progress, uh, basically in our work and our businesses. And uh, life is great. And uh, I'm very glad things are fine. How about you, Pujiks? How is life in Canada? Where are you up to these days? Uh, uh, how do you keep yourself busy? And how are things in Canada? Things are going good. I mean, um, as you mentioned, life has changed a lot. Um, there are a lot of things that we were used to doing that are either done differently or not done at all. You know, it's, socializing is different and work is different. Study is different. Everything is different. I think Canadians are super nice. They don't even socialize. They, they, like, you literally take it to the heart, this whole social distancing. Probably, I think now half the population in probably Canada are uh, suicidal. The other half are depressed, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, I don't know specifically, but obviously it should have a mental toll on people you know, how things are going. But I guess um, uh, everybody is doing their best to cope uh, one way or another to the, with mm -hmm. this situation. Um, I see, yeah. I see. And uh, so you yourself, how do you spend your time basically these days? And because uh, I know you're engaged with your studies and of course you yeah. have your work and business. So, because uh, I don't know about that place because unfortunately, as you probably know, uh, now uh, in the U.S., things are very, very divided. So there's, yeah. on the one hand, those who don't, don't even wear masks, they don't take any of these things seriously. And mm -hmm. they're just having, you know, life as if nothing has happened. On the other hand, we have those who are very cautious. Then, in, you know, all over the world now, we are seeing very different lifestyles. So I have friends <laughs> now in Europe who are now in complete uh, basic state of disarray because especially some of my friends right now in Italy and France are just suffering so mm -hmm. much. Uh, whereas uh, I have friends in Russia where they're just, quite relaxed like no man there's no quarantine here life is great so it really depends on where you are right now yeah. china is basically if you're in china right now you're probably the happiest in the world because there's pr pretty much nothing they've already uh beaten the virus a long time ago so i think this pandemic has made me think a lot more about you know how different countries are handling it basically so for canada because you guys are somewhere in between europe and america I mean, you're yeah. neither fully all-American crazy and nor fully <laughs> European. So, like, I was wondering, like, how are things now there? And people just keep to themselves all the time. Do you have mm -hmm. any social events and gatherings? Are the clubs and bars and restaurants open or that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, um, obviously, it's very it's a big country in terms of, uh, um, you know, surface area. Um, yeah, but you have so one advantage. You are very big, but in terms of, like... Uh, the population, it's mm -hmm. not basically it's highly very, dense. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably a good thing for the COVID case. Broadly speaking, it's actually very good. So most of the country, in terms of not in terms of population, but in terms of um, area, like ge geographically, um, it's very loose because everything is calmed down and chilled down to a good degree, the regulations and whatnot. Obviously, there are there like masks and whatnot. But when you go to places like Toronto, Ontario, and around Toronto in specific, then you have a different situation. We like two weeks ago, we had to go to a what what's called by the officials a modified stage two. Essentially, means that 
Um, indoor gatherings are limited to 10 people again. It was wow. very much, much more and, loose. And by the way, who 50. monitors these things? Because I had the exact same problem in Russia where I actually had to uh, you know, deal with a lot of problems. In the U.S., things are a lot easier, fortunately. And again, uh, not necessarily fortunately, but at least as of now, there are no strict mm-hmm. regulations. Uh, of course, yeah. the, uh, the, the election will determine, you know, how will this continue? And uh, in some countries like European nations, I mean, they're just, I, I feel sorry for those who are now in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to us, uh, you know, from the European Union, uh, literally, I'm just sorry for all of you guys. It just, I, I feel your pain and I know how difficult it is for you. But ultimately, I guess it depends. So for Canada, like, uh, do they like have any means of enforcing these rules or do they just say it and the condition that they are, they just follow without asking any questions? Well, I mean, I think it's a degree of um, both, meaning like essentially it's, um, uh, you know, guidelines that put in, put in place and people for the most part do follow um, uh, these things are maybe not to the letter. It depends. I mean, there are some gray areas, obviously, but generally speaking, people do follow. There are obviously always um, uh, people who don't follow uh, those rules and regulations. And I've seen sometimes people are getting, not individuals, usually it's on the side of businesses. For example, if a restaurant is not allowed to um, host people inside, like they, they can do outdoors at this point, no problem, like patios, whatnot. Really, um, is it possible now with the temperature? I don't know how how the temperature right now is there, but I'm guessing yeah, it's be harder for outdoor hosting now. It's 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 getting it's getting more difficult, but for now it's not still above zero, and they have these like heated patios, so they make it a little bit wow uh, more doable. Pretty so, cool. I mean, they have to survive uh, the restaurant business in specific. Obviously, obviously, when it gets really cold, it gets much more difficult. Uh, but um, it's not there yet. So, point being. If businesses are not compliant, it's going to be very difficult for them to hide because wow. they're much more public. But individuals are a different story. I mean, there are nice. some cases that there's some enforcement, but for the most part, they're relying on people following the regulations, etc. I see. I think this whole thing taught me the importance of leadership and how almost uh, the way you live your life, it, it pretty much is dictated by how the leaders make decisions. And I just realized that a lot more than I used to. Yeah. And it's just you know a very interesting fact overall. But Overall, good things are fine, and I hope that uh, all of the world, we gradually, as we get closer to that, that you know, vaccine, vaccination date, hopefully things gets better, and uh, okay. DHL just announced that they are ready to uh, hopefully uh, work very hard to ship the, these vaccines worldwide. Let's see what they do, and let's just stay optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, uh, We'll see what happens. I mean, typically, I mean, historically, I've heard this somewhere. I'm not, I haven't fact-checked this, so p- people who are listening to this are welcome to do it themselves. Don't take it from me um but i've heard that historically the duration of pandemics are somewhere around 18 months um with or without a vaccine vaccine like even if you go further back so um that is sad in a way that it's going to be six seven eight more months maybe but on the other hand are you sure so how long has it been officially so far so you said 18 months that's pretty much like almost a year and a half yeah, so I guess it's based like upon that we got still a, a, almost half a year to go, right? Mm, yeah, roughly. Maybe I see, pretty good, but still, it's half a year. Just means that most of the you know the the distance is already being crossed. That's a good thing. If you're an optimist, guys, we're two yeah. third through, man. Come on, let's push it through. <laughs> well, yeah, but but so the historic data, I think, it, even if it's close, uh, it's correct. Let's say it's correct. Let's say eighteen months stands historically roughly. Obviously, there's no line. Um, but it doesn't take two things into account. One is vaccine were not historically popular. Like if you go beyond 
um, 80, 90, 100 years ago, um, then that's another thing. So you, we, that's one thing, uh, whether we have a vaccine or not. On the other hand, uh, the, the, like these kind of quarantines, like um, what I'm trying to say, virus would burn through population before people would go isolate themselves if needed and whatnot. So this timeline might not really work in that sense, but who knows? I see. Of course, now we have more to go around, but then again, we have better technologies and of course, sure. better means reaching people. So I hope that this is going to be around the same average you mentioned, hopefully. Hopefully. And, uh, and I, I really uh, am looking forward to life going back to normal. Hopefully, Absolutely. I guess somewhere around March will be a lot better. That's what I personally have planned for my uh, major travels. And mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Though, today we're actually, that was not part of our agenda. I mean, obviously, um, talk about it a little bit. But what we're talking about today, very uh, briefly, there's going to be further episodes on this subject, obviously, because it's a big subject. It's another kind of disruption. And that is the um, the AI disruption or the computer. Like well, We have many technological disruptions so far, and one of them is, we're going to talk about is the artificial intelligence um, and its powers and um, how it affects us and our lives. Um, so we know that all of us have heard, uh, we talked about it on this podcast, that the artificial intelligence, there's a lot of tasks are going to be automated and done by computers, essentially, you know, from grocery stores now that you do self-checkout, for instance, or other means. Um, now, things are changing very rapidly and very quickly. And one of the natural questions for people, especially younger individuals who are trying to get into the workforce and trying to see what they want to follow, the natural question is, what area or areas can I aim at and go to have a sustainable job or occupation in the future? Now, um, that is a very good question, and that's what we're going to address today. So what are your thoughts generally about automation and uh, artificial intelligence as a uh, powerhouse for, for this uh, phenomenon? I Again. see. You see, one of the problems that I get with people often tend to, tend to compare this AI revolution with that of the industrial revolution and saying, you know, right. man, we had the same issue back then. So we used to have horses and then we got into cars and all that. So the, the jobs changed and it became more industrial. So there are some optimists in this regard who are saying that, yes, this AI uh, and this revolution will ultimately create new types of jobs, which I believe that to some point is actually true. But the problem is that that world, the industrial revolution happened in an era where we had far, you know, far fewer people than we have today. And based upon the you know, all the uh, basically uh, estimations, the world population is definitely going to increase. There's no doubt about it. So uh, this is we're going to see more people. So you can compare, I don't know, 1900 and 1800 with uh, 2030, 2035, because we're going to have a lot more people. That's number one. And uh, even if you take a look at you know the history, even though we had uh, as we got into industrial revolution, we did face with fewer people who were required to work because now all the factories were now working basically with machines, so there were you know a, a lot less need for manual labor. So. That's the one issue. People who think like this is just, you know, we're going to have all this AI stuff and then people are going to change their jobs. They're going to actually move on to doing AI things, if you will. But the fact of the matter is that AI is uh, ha- occurring. This revolution is occurring in a time where we have far more people, uh, basically, than we have jobs for them. And number two, it is the issue of how AI disrupts work by its very nature. You see, 
when it comes to, for example, AI, we uh, are talking about a, a type of technology that is capable of learning and growing and developing itself. So when you're, let's say, designing a machine or an instrument for a factory, let's say in, in, in early 1900, uh, obviously you still need operators to work on this, those who build it and so on. Mm -hmm. But AI, it is not a technology or an instrument that you can just simply use. Rather, it's a source. It's a basically means of creating other types of technologies because AI is capable of generating uh, basically its own decisions and its own basically data. The other issue, of course, is robotics and how AI, once combined with robotics, can do a lot of things that we are doing right now almost uh, you know, effortlessly. I mean, right, right now, what people think of like uh, iRobots, which is not the movie, but like the actual uh, vacuum cleaner, that's mm -hmm. a very simple example of when AI meets uh, robotics. And a lot of households around the world are now using this iRobot vacuum cleaner, which just moves around the house on a regular basis and cleans things. So just imagine that thing, not just applied to a vacuum cleaner, but to almost everything else, whether it being, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, those who, uh, let's say, clean the trash basically around the world. Let's, let's just say those who are, I mean, think of like very menial tasks that we think of like humans to be done. Obviously, think about, you know, most, almost all the drivers and pilots going out of job. And once you look at the scale at which this AI technology will affect us, you realize that the you know the damage, if you will, will be a lot more substantial to you know the employment and the job market than it was back in the industrial age. Right. And other than that, of course, we have the uh, issue of businesses who want to cut costs. So labor used to be cheap, obviously, in, in, in at the beginning of the industrial age, but now. Obviously, as, as you probably know around the world, there's this trend towards increasing the minimum wage. And if you work in business, you understand that your number one target is to keep the cost as low as possible and maximize the profit. So any entrepreneur in the future world would very much prefer to get the robotic versions of those, uh, let's say, staffs, which is mm -hmm. kind of like the iRobot vacuum cleaner, than to actually pay for a real uh, human because that probably will cost a lot less and be you know, a lot more reliable because robots don't need sick leaves, they don't get pregnant, and often that they don't complain so much, basically, right? right. I don't know, maybe someday robots will get pregnant, but un until then, <laughs> we have to, for now, be relaxed that it's not going to occur. But the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is this is occurring right now, and for that very reason, we have to be prepared. Now, right. while I do want to raise the awareness of our listeners and to make them a little bit cautious, I also want to say that there's a good side. And the good side is that while AI can replace a lot of our jobs, there are ways that we, you know, uh, our listeners can actually prepare themselves for that world to make sure that they are not going to be the first who will lose their jobs. They will actually need more time to think of other ways to take mm -hmm. their lives to a whole new level. And in one of my uh, latest posts, I talked about the importance of mastering a specific subject to a very high level, because that will then prepare you uh, to deal with the future marketplaces where you know, average skill and average levels uh, basically of talent abilities can be easily replaced by AI, whereas more basically uh, advanced and masterful types of performance will not be as easily replaceable, let's say, compared to the average person. Right. Well, that's true for the most part. I mean, I think it really depends on what is the area you're mastering. And like if it's chess, not really, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's we're right. doing chess right. as a leisure, you can still I suppose. Get beat by any sim Even right now, I guess, this is not like yeah. about AI. I, I think like uh, all the top chess master players right now, they have all, all lost, I guess, probably to uh, IBM or something, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, uh, 
specifically my point. And um, so it makes it very dependent on the field as well. I think I completely agree with you. So the, the degree of um, mastery definitely matters, but also the field can matter. And it's very difficult to predict what fields are going to be um, impacted. I mean, some are easier to predict, some are not based on the technological advancements we had so far. But generally speaking, things that are more nuanced are much harder to, um, you know, teach a machine to deal with. Um, like chess is certainly a, a, you know, a tasking job, but the strategy in chess is basically because of limitation, our limitations of imagining three moves, uh, well, few moves ahead, right? Like the whole thing is that you anticipate um, there are different things I can do and each of them will have, you, you will have be able to see a few steps ahead. If I do this, the opponent will do that, then I'll do this and the right? So there's a degree of anticipation that a machine clearly because of the memory it has, it can, and the fast, how fast it moves everything, it can actually do all of those steps ahead of uh, actually playing it in, in its memory and decide which is the best move to um, to success. So that is certainly the, the nuance is very limited. Um, mm -hmm. However, if you're dealing with other humans, like it's a management position, perhaps, I mean, you can say that decision making can be automated very easily. But not that's the issue. Right. You see, that's the issue because you know when we think of AI, we think about like I don't know things moving around and just right. you know uh, making certain codes to do this and do that. Because AI isn't just about uh, you know uh, those type of tasks that we habitually associate with like you know robotics exactly. and computer science. I mean, AI. Have you ever heard about like there's there are right now pages on uh, social media featuring poetry and quotes yeah, made by AI now. I don't know if you've ever uh, read one of these, but at first you think like there's this, you know, crazy philosopher who's making some random stuff. But ironically, at its current level, which is almost its infancy right now, we're yeah. seeing that AI can now come up with arts and philosophy yeah. and quotations. So obviously making decisions probably, and that's my problem because we think that it's all about, you know, uh, just the, you know, the drivers and the pilots. No, man, what if the AI becomes the CEO of a company? What if you hire mm -hmm. top managers without hiring any real person? What if you literally subscribe to a uh, management, for example, or right. uh, managerial AI by the future IBMs? Mm -hmm. And they literally, you subscribe at a, you know, literally fraction of the cost of hiring a an experienced, let's say, top manager, which which could cost the company, you know, millions of dollars per year in salary. You, yeah. for the fraction of the cost, you can actually get the AI to use big data and make and who's always online to make literally the kind of decisions that almost no, uh, basically, a top manager could make. We're talking about that type of shift, not just exactly. you know we use uh, you know iRobot, but just imagine that. A, a company has has shareholders and all the managers who are making the decisions are not real people. They are okay. AIs and algorithms that are making those decisions for the company. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And that makes it um, very difficult to, you know, actually anticipate uh, what field to go to. So that's where I subscribe to one of the be best advices ever heard on this subject. And that is, um, you know what? Nobody knows truly uh, what fields are 
going to be more affected. Probably most are going to be very much affected. Um, maybe some more, some less. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the, the advice that I heard is that see what you are interested in and I like to do. Don't think too much about these things. I mean, think about it to a degree. If you can anticipate it, of course, you want to anticipate it. But at the end of the day, there is a huge um, amount of ambiguity in what is going to be happening to any of these fields in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever have you, uh, time. And the advice is, to the point, yes, find the field of your interest or fields of your interest, follow your passion, as you mentioned, to the mastery, and try to keep up with the technology and how it's uh, improving, transforming, and make sure you are not obsolete as best mm-hmm. as you can. So at the end of the day, we will need to be students of this um, you know, field, not to be researchers, but at least um, follow them and see what mm-hmm. is happening and what are the shifts you can give to yourself and your own field so you're more compatible with this new era and mm-hmm. less obsolete. I agree completely, definitely, because, uh, I mean, it's really a matter of time before the way we do things right now will go completely obsolete. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. just take a look at how we did banking in the 1950s and 60s and with today. Almost all the skills and abilities that a banker uh, in the 1960s, let's go back to New York in 1960 and 1970. At that time, a typical New York banker would have uh, had to have a lot of skills, including how to uh, know the right clients, how to know uh, to whom basically you, uh, for example, cash the check and to whom you will not cash the check. I mean, uh, how will you interact with the customers? What skills do you need? How to type properly using your typewriter? I mean, do you remember Absolutely. those things? Tuck, 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 all those things. So almost all of those skills right now are pretty much uh, made obsolete, basically. And now, thanks to online banking, I don't know about the last time you went to a bank, uh, Pujix, but the last time I went to a bank was just because I had to physically be present to uh, basically uh, change my uh, master and visa card because they they got expired after three years. And beyond that, there's pretty much no need for me to uh, go to any bank at all. And just that's just one example, obviously. Uh, But uh, once you take that trend, you realize that, of course, this is going to go up to a very, you know, at a level where perhaps a lot of things we are now doing today might be completely obsolete. Uh, But then again, while I say that still, technology needs time to grow and expand. And that is why I mean, while we cannot perhaps avoid the inevitable, we could perhaps at least prolong it. And uh, let's just, you know, at least those of us who are in our, let's say, uh, mid-20s and early 30s, a chance to last probably as the last maybe generation who will go unscathed with all of this. Uh, and by the time that AI really takes over, probably we're already retired. But uh, still, we need to uh, teach the younger generation some skills to prepare themselves. And that's why I really believe that being able to uh, first of all, making sure that our focus is m- as much about humans as it is about a skill, because I really believe that almost mm-hmm. all skills that are fully logical in nature and that don't involve humans, uh, mm-hmm. certain skills that could easily be automated are the first to go, obviously. And But uh, the right. more human touch we add to any career path, whether it's I mean, as a lawyer, you can no longer rely on just your knowledge of the law, because once we have legal advisors AI, as AIs, there's no need for, I mean, all of your knowledge means nothing because they have direct access in a millisecond, right? But right. what if you focus on mastering law as somebody who uh, knows how to deal with people and clients well? What if you focus yeah. on the human aspect of legal practice? That will give you a huge edge in case, uh, I don't know, 15 years from now, 
you had to I don't know, uh, see major lawyers leaving basically a law firm because uh, there's no mm. job for them available, right? So uh, whether it is, I don't know, as a teacher or educator, if you focus on the human element, whether it is in business and finance, whether it is in renting, uh, you know, for example, properties around the world, if you try to focus more on how well you satisfy your guests and how you generate, you know, more uh, positive reviews. So ultimately what I'm saying is by trying to focus on mastering, especially the human elements of what you do, probably you can actually prolong the inevitable and uh, remain employable for the majority of your adult life. That's, of course, uh, uh, assuming that AI remains at its current growth and we'd not see a major exponential change, I don't know, 10 years from now. Right. No, that that's absolutely good advice, I think. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, there is a huge amount of ambiguity and that's, that's just part of it. And we have to um, learn how to cope with it best, of course. Uh, and absolutely. these are all good advices absolutely. for sure. But I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so let's, uh, I mean, let's talk about our own field. So, I don't know uh, what what's going to happen. Do you think so? Let's talk about a few fields that we know very well: uh, the fields uh, of education, the fields of, for example, science. Because I know you're a scientist. Uh, entrepreneurship, yeah. running a business, real estate, and uh, basically uh, investments. What do you think people in these fields should do to somehow prepare themselves for that inevitable? Yeah, I think um, so. So first, let me narrow it down to science first uh, and foremost, because that is the area that um, it's actually been very helpful. This, this these tools that currently exist, at least, and enhance the ability of the scientists or researchers or engineers to create things. Or, for example, this a uh, simple example is how much AI has been used in the medical uh, industry. Well, industry, I don't know, in medicine in general. Um, trying to find different pathogens and whatnot. So it is all very um, important to consider. Um, there's also a, a degree of uh, research going into AIs generating science, meaning coming up with theorems wow. and trying them and proving them. Now, that is that seems to be to the degree that I'm not closely following that research, but to the degree that I understand it, it seems to be proving tasking and difficult, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. So um, um, my guess is that it's just a guess, so who knows? But my guess is that it will be a very, very valuable tool to human scientists um, at the first stage. It becomes extremely important and maybe a part of uh, their uh, their lives. But um, nothing is, you know, certain. We don't. We just simply don't know. And uh, and and make and hope is hope is that these tools can help us solve the greater and more difficult questions of our times. Uh, we were talking about COVID, how much uncertainty there is about this simple disease that we think we got a grasp on these things, but we simply, that, that if the one thing it showed us is that we just don't, uh, we just don't know <laughs> so well about so many of these things. So, so yeah, that's, um, that's how I see it in science. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, uh, fields related to your finance and you know, management. Well, um, first thing you mentioned finance, I think that's the one thing that I'm very concerned about because mm. uh, the field of finance has it's, it's pretty much about having information. And obviously, there is going to always be uh, an advantage to a uh, an AI that is capable of running all sorts of uh, diagnosis and prognosis and all those things, imagining the possible yields of different investments. So because uh, I know that there is a firm in New York City right now that has invested more than one and a half billion dollars just to increase the optic speed of their internet connection so that by like almost a, a one or two seconds. And that has given this you know, hedge fund a huge advantage. 
If yeah. if two extra seconds, uh, you know, faster uh, processing uh, is going to give you that advantage, imagine what will AI do to finance and investments. Just just mm -hmm. it really uh, uh, somehow makes me <laughs> sometimes even disturbed about this matter. The other issue, of course, is the issue of business. What if AI wishes a level where we can actually hire AI as those who make decisions for deciding what items to sell? I mean, right now, one of the common ways that a lot of entrepreneurs around the world are making money is through what we call arbitrage. So buy low in one place or market or in one situation, sell high somewhere else. But one of the biggest challenges of making this work is to know which products to sell and to, how to, to somehow direct them. What if yeah. an AI is capable of finding the right targeted advertising for the clients using Facebook? Again, mm -hmm. all real time by analyzing and getting all the feedback from the big data and then deciding mm -hmm. to sell this, you know, for example, you know, this ad to this type of demographics and to boost the, you know, the, the profit of one company. So when you think about what AI can do to business and finance, it's just it almost pretty much can render any human business person almost out of this business. So yeah. that is why I think uh, trying to focus so much on learning how to do these things well yourself now and to keep up pace with the changes and trends probably can help us a little bit in this regard. And as you mentioned, education, we both know this field also pretty well. Right. It's definitely going to go through a lot of changes because as information is, I mean, it, already right now we are seeing, you know, you can just find any information just with, with it by Google. So uh, almost all knowledge workers will be facing with dramatic uh, problems because now their knowledge that they had and they acquired yesterday could be obsolete today. And AI knows about this, but you don't. And this could actually make uh, a lot of educators also uh, almost uh, somehow rendered obsolete because now we can use AI as uh, its own means of tutoring and teaching and educating, uh, even as you mentioned, generating research, uh, you know, at a university level or uh, right. conducting, for example, other types of scientific work. Uh, so th these things, we're talking like a major disruptions. But then again, as you mentioned yourself, as of now, they still have faced with a lot of difficulties. And most of this uh, baffling we have right now is still a subject to, you know, science fiction. But Absolutely. this is just like most things that were science fiction but are now true today. Think of like, you know, your cell phone and all those things. Me being here talking to you in Canada. So mm -hmm. uh, this, all of these things, it's just a matter of time, which is why we can still prepare ourselves for, uh, you know, a very fulfilling career if we commit to complete excellence and to really do our best to stay up to date and to basically try our best to remain focused on what we're doing. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And uh, great points, great points. Um, now we are coming to the end of the show and both of us have a hard stop in a couple of minutes. So is there anything, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about this subject more and more in the future um, without a shadow of a doubt. It's a very important subject for the future of humanity, of course, but for the, for this, for the sake of this episode and what we talked about, is there anything you want to add on at the end of our show? Well, first of all, it's great to see you and talk to you, Pooja, after a while, and uh, it was a great discussion so far. And as we discussed, AI is here. And while as of now, it is still at a stage where we can easily beat it, just wait, I don't know, uh, based upon what I've heard so far and what my own estimations, just wait about 15 or so years until you see how uh, the AI uh, technology will be somehow going to disrupt almost all industries, including those we used to think they belong and are fully dominated by humans. And for that reason, 
I believe that as we discussed earlier, it's best to remain optimistic. I mean, being all, oh my gosh, what's the point, Dan? Listen, Dan, I just uh, I just listened to Pujix and Dan on this podcast, and they said there's no, why should I go to college? Why should I get a job, man? Uh, the AI is going to do everything. Man. I just want to stay home, smoke pot, and play Fortnite. So that is not the answer, obviously. You want to actually... Uh, take this seriously and somehow redouble your effort to try to uh, obtain as much mastery in any field that you really wish to do in order to prepare yourself for that future marketplace. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I agree the optimism point is very important. You don't want to give in to that. Those, like, there's obviously all of these uh, talking heads talk about this. these subjects. Yes, it's important to pay attention. Yes, it's important to, um, you know, discuss these things but it doesn't mean that we have to be panicked by them and lose faith and i remember in the last episode you were talking about surviving and thriving in the you know uh, economy same thing that's that right you, you want to remain optimist at the heart of all of this that makes a lot of sense absolutely absolutely and very well appreciate it and thank you dan for joining us once more my pleasure buddy i really enjoyed it awesome thank you very much it was uh, it was a good episode i hope you enjoyed it as well um, your, uh, your audience, please, um, let us know if there's anything specific, uh, specific that you want us to talk about. Um, you can reach us, me, Dan, uh, on social media, you know how to do that. It's in the show notes as well. Um, or, uh, leave in comments, definitely would like reviews and help us grow. And until later episode, have a good one.